Welcome to the Pathway Church Podcast, where you'll find fresh messages uploaded weekly. Pathway Church is a Bible-based church located in Peterborough, Ontario, and we're on a mission to reach people far from God and see them become devoted followers of Jesus. We hope that what you hear today will help you to take one step closer to Jesus. Thanks so much for joining us, and if you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe. Great to see you here today. Um, you'll have to pardon me. I've got a bit of a cold that I'm fighting, and so if I sound bad or I reach for Kleenex, uh, that's what it is. Someone said to me before the service, they're like, um, maybe your message will go viral. Uh, I thought that was, uh, I, think, I, think, I think she meant in a good way. Um, <laughs> it's great to be with you. If you haven't been with us, we are, uh, we're walking through a letter in the New Testament called Galatians, and um, In this particular letter in the New Testament, um, Paul the Apostle writes to a group of churches in the Roman province of Galatia, and he's writing to them to clarify the gospel, this message that birthed the church, this message that uh, has been the foundation or the the pillar of Christianity since since that time. And uh, as we've been saying through this letter, Galatians is one of the oldest letters in the New Testament or written closest to the resurrection of Jesus. And so in it, we kind of catch a glimpse of the message that Paul and others brought to the early church, extremely, extremely powerful. And so as we've been encouraging you, if you're sticking with us and coming back week over week to be reading this particular letter of Galatians in your own time, perhaps making it part of your study, I know that if you're reading it and familiar with the content, then when I teach on it and we look at these uh, subjects, you'll get more out of it, okay? Um, So what I want to do today is I want to just read through 14 verses in the third chapter that we'll be looking at. And honestly, um, there's a lot here. Paul is continuing to answer the question that uh, he's answering throughout this entire letter. So there's a common thread that's woven through this entire letter. And it's literally this question, how can a person be right with God? It's kind of the big question. And religions of the world have tried to answer that question in many different ways, through good works, through charity, through, um, you know, going without, uh, through helping other people, through living a good life, and that somehow we could somehow attain to the standard that we know we all fall short of. And so Paul's literally arguing that doesn't work. So we need a second option, and the second option is that Jesus, or God, enters into human history, lives a perfect life, dies for us in our place, so we could be made right with God, not because of what we did, but because of what he did. In other words, God saves us instead of us saving ourselves. That's the big idea. And so we're going to see that thread again as we read through these verses. So let's just go ahead and read through them. And I'm going to do my best to not comment. It'll be hard. Uh, But I'm going to read through and and try to just read the words as they stand. We'll put it up on the screen so we're reading the same thing. Galatians 3, verse 1. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law, that's in keeping the rules, or by hearing with faith, trusting in God. Just as Abraham 
believed God. Abraham was the father of the Jewish nation, the chosen ones, the children of God. As Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that this is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles, that's us, the rest of the world, by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying this, in you shall all the nations be blessed. Thank goodness, because if you're not Jewish, this is the, this is the reason you're included in this. All the nations should be blessed. So then, those who are of faith, those who trust God, those who trust in Christ, are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. In other words, it is through faith in the finished work of Jesus that we become sons and daughters of God, just like Abraham. That's pretty cool. I'm preaching. Back to the verse. Verse 10. I told you it would be hard. Uh, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it's written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident. No one is justified. I'm going to say that again. It's evident. Let's say these words together. No one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. And here's the last verse, the one that we're going to spend a little bit of time looking at. So that in Christ Jesus, faith in Christ, through that, the blessing of Abraham, that's a big deal. That means favor with God, friendship with God, sons and daughters of God, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, that's us, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. May God bless the reading of his word. There's there's so much in there um, that we could talk about. Many of the themes we've been discussing are kind of um, reintroduced here as we go through. What you may or may not have realized as we were reading that, Paul is citing large numbers of ancient texts. He's going back to the Old Testament law and prophets. There were a whole bunch of times when Paul is actually reading the Old Testament to the Jews who are essentially claiming that in order to be a child of God, in order to be one of God's people, a son or daughter of God, that you had to be circumcised. Now, I know we today in our culture think, well, that's just crazy. Uh, The reason why this was a big deal is because God makes a covenant with Abraham and promises to bless him and his descendants and that through him the world will be saved. And then Abraham has to get circumcised and all his sons and their sons and their sons. And it became the outward mark of a child or a a son or a son of God. I mean, that's what it was. And it seems as though Paul's writing to these early Christians, and Jewish leaders have come in and said, essentially, look, even if we set aside the law of Moses and the food laws and all the holidays, circumcision came way before that with Abraham. So you need to get circumcised. And this letter is really written around this issue. Paul's saying, no, no. That outward physical mark is not the thing that makes you a child of God or not. And he's going to point to Abraham and say, look, Abraham had faith in God, and that's what made him right with God. And guess what? It's the very same thing for you and me. It's not some outward thing. It's an inward thing. In Romans chapter 2, Paul talks about circumcision of the heart, where there's, there's some sort of surgery, literally, that happens inside of us. God does something inside of us to transform us from one thing 
to another thing, and that's what we're going to talk about. You know, I was thinking about this book that I'm holding, you know. Uh, I've been reading this book, the Bible, uh, for, <laughs> I hate to even say this, 37 years or so on my own. And I started this big, started reading this thing. And I remember as a little kid opening it up, and especially if you read the beginning of the book, it's like, <laughs> what does that mean? And you flip it open, and you're like, hey, what's God say to me today? How many people died in this chapter? Right? And there's wars, and oh, there's some really cool stuff, you know. Uh, if you really want to shock and awe, there's some great stuff back there. And I remember as a kid reading it for the first time and going, I, I don't understand this. And, and maybe some of you have done that too, right? You've read this book, and you're like, I, I don't... I don't 37 years I've been reading this. I've been studying it seriously for almost 25. And I'm just starting to scratch the surface of what's in here. So if you're here today and you're like, oh, yeah, I read, I read the New Testament. Or I read the whole Bible one year. I got it. I figured it out. Good luck. You haven't even, you haven't even started. And to understand this thing, you have to have the right frame, the right lens. And essentially, Paul is he's quoting these Old Testament scriptures to help these Jewish people who, who, who knew the Bible, who studied it from the time they were little kids, and they had it all wrong. Their frame was wrong. And, and here's one of the things you need to know. This book is not about you. It's like, really? I thought everything was about me. No, this book is not about you. I mean, you're, it talks to you. There's, you're part of this story. But this book tells us about who God is. The God who created the heavens and the earth. The God who created you and I. It tells us about him. That's, it's his revelation of himself to us. And this book tells the story of creation, the fall. We mess things up. And for thousands and thousands of years of human history, God is at work through the nation of Israel, through you and I, to restore. And the book ends with God restoring all things. So God creates. We mess it up. God restores it all. This, this, that's the story of the book. We're a small part in it. We're... It speaks to us, it's for us, but it's about him. And if you don't read it that way, and you don't understand that all the parts are connected. You know, when I was a kid, they handed me this book, and they were like, this is the word of God. Woo, that's pretty awesome. Every word is true. Wow. As I got older, I thought, well, did they mean every word in the original language? Because I, I learned it later on that this wasn't written in English. Right? This book was written in Hebrew, and... Parts of the Old Testament in Aramaic, and then around 400 B.C., it was all translated into Greek, called it the Septuagint, and then that's what Jesus would have quoted, and then it was translated into Latin around 400 A.D., and then it was translated into Elizabethan English in the 14-1500s, all the this and thou and thusly, and none of us understand what it means, right? It's like reading Shakespeare, and then, and then we have all these modern translations in our own language, and it's like, okay. And, and you may think, wow, with all those translations and all that time that could introduce a lot of error, what is amazing is how, how treasured these scriptures were by the people who handled them and how well they were preserved. It, like, I could talk for hours about this. It's amazing that I'm holding in my hands a book today. Like, this version, I'm using the ESV version, was translated from the original languages, the oldest copies of these scriptures they could find. And it's so accurate to all these other translations that have come through. It is amazing. There have been some of the brightest minds in history working on getting this to you in the English language, the truth that it contained to you in the English language. 
thousands of brilliant minds, pouring tens of thousands of hours, many who died for it. We'll just leave it sitting on the nightstand. You should read it. It's a really good book. <laughs> I'm ranting. Um, it's a fantastic book. But if you don't understand the filter with which to read this thing, you get off track. So if someone was going to oppose Christianity or say the Bible is not a good book, the first thing they do is they flip open the book to Leviticus. A few of you chuckle because you've been in church for a while and you know what's in Leviticus. And they'll put their finger on a verse that says, if someone is caught in an act of homosexuality, stone them. It's like, I didn't know God was homophobic. I didn't know the Bible was homophobic. But they don't read the whole book because in the same few chapters, it basically says any sex outside of a husband and wife in a committed lifelong relationship, you die. Anything outside of that. And you go, wow, okay. So God just has a really clear plan for how that's supposed to work. Yeah, he does. And anything outside of that, death. This seems harsh. And then you read on, and it says that if a child is disrespectful, anybody guess what happens to the child? <laughs> death. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm sure they'd try to work with the kid if they liked him, but eventually stones were coming. And you go, well, gee, well pff, God is childophobic. He doesn't like kids. No, he doesn't like rebellious kids. And truth be known, we were all rebellious kids, right? And, and of course, Jesus in the New Testament says, let the little children come to me. He loved kids. He said, if anybody harmed these kids or taught them wrong, you'd be better to tie a big rock around your neck and jump in the lake. So we're going, okay, well, I'm trying to contrast these two images of what I'm reading and what I know to be true. And it's like, what? And then you continue to read anything, any witchcraft, sorcery, dark arts. Anybody guess? Death. Yeah, that's death. How do you, when they were burning witches at the stake, not in the not so distant past, they were pulling a verse from the Old Testament that says, if somebody does this thing, they die. They weren't reading the next chapter over that says, if you do any work on the Sabbath day, Saturday, by the way, in case you vacuumed your floor yesterday, guess what happens? You die. <laughs> and the idea, the idea is this, and I have a whiteboard here because I wanted to draw this out for you. The idea is that God, God says, here's the moral law. Here's the standard, okay, way up here. And if you meet my standard, you get, and I'm, I apologize if you can't read this in the back, you get life. If you fail down here, what is, what's the opposite of life? Death. There's a theme here today. Aren't you excited? It's like a Morgan here. Um, life, death. He also says this, if you keep the law that God gives you, if you live according to his standard, you get blessing. That's nice. And if you fail to keep the law, you get cursing. Curse. So the law is given. God says, here's my standard. Any failure to meet this results in cursing and ultimately in death. And of course, not all the sins that people commit, that you and I commit, that the nation of Israel committed, uh, led instantly to stoning. Okay, there were some that did. 
many of the sins, um, you knew you, you had wronged and fallen short of, of the law of God. So what would happen was, you would have to go to the temple and offer sacrifice. And so if you were poor, you'd buy like a little turtle dove. And if you had money, you'd get a ram or a goat or some larger, a sheep. And you would bring this animal. And the animal, you know, here, here we are living our lives. And failure to meet the law meant death. And so the animal would die and that would sort of stave off the judgment of God for our sins. So this, this is the, the image that we have, okay, of how this all works. So each and every one of us as we go through life, we're... <laughs> We're kind of like, we're somewhere on this continuum. Would you agree? You're like, you're not perfect, but you're not like the devil. You're not like totally sinister and evil, but there's a little bit of that hidden in there somewhere. You just don't want to show people, okay, until you get married. Then the other person sees it because you live with them long enough, and they see that part of you, right? So, so we're somewhere on this continuum, right? And I, I'm drawing this a squiggly line because we have our good days and our bad days, there's that moment we told the truth, I mean the whole truth and nothing but the truth, and then there's the time the next day when we kind of twist it a little bit for our own advantage, and we know it's wrong, and so we're kind of like somewhere on the continuum working our way along, and interesting note, by the way, someone cannot even be a Christian, not attend church, not even believe God exists, and they're somewhere up here. They're doing pretty good. It's a good person, and then there's some Christians that are like riding this line down here. And then they call us hypocrites, and they're right, because we're claiming to live at this standard, and we're somewhere along here. So here, here we have this, this continuum, and, and theologians kind of argue about where we begin this journey. So you're born, and I'm born. Where do you think you're born on the continuum? Well, some people would say, uh, well, you're born, and you're perfect. You're right up here. You know, you're like this, this blank slate, this perfect thing in the image of God. Others, you know, Calvinists, uh, would say, hey, you know what? We're all born into sin we're born into death. Honestly, I don't care which side you argue because by the time the child turns two, okay, they're so close to that line down there I called the devil. They're so close. Now, if you're a parent and you've had a two-year-old in your home, you know that's true. And, and as a parent, you know, you try your best to, to like discipline your kids and teach them morality and you're like, hey, don't lie. It goes bad for you. Tell the truth. Uh, honor others. Share what you have. You know, share your toys. And you hope that someday when they get older and have money, they'll share their money with other people and that they'll be generous and they'll serve others. And so you're doing this job as a parent trying to, like, get your kid. By the time they're eight or nine, you're, you're like, we're doing a good job. Like, our kids are, like, up here. And then they turn 13, 14. <laughs> Some of you have had teenagers in your house. You know that's true. And you're like, God, help us. We thought we were doing great. And, and the whole story of the Bible is this story... <laughs> You know, we read, we read the Old Testament story about the nation of Israel and the prophets. And, and it's the same cycle over and over and over again. Joshua says to the peoples that go into the land, he says, choose you this day whom you will serve. Choose life or death. Choose blessing or cursing. And what does everyone say? We choose life. We choose blessing. We'll do everything God's commanded to us. And it's like a week. It's like a New Year's resolution. I'm telling you, like a week later, they're falling into sin, and they're turning, they're proud and arrogant, and they turn from God, and they start sacrificing their children on altars, and all kinds of crazy stuff. And so they're like, we're doing great. No, you're not. And they head in this direction, and they begin to live under a curse. And the nations, the neighboring nations invade them, kill their kids, take their crops. 
And the people of Israel, and this happens over and over, it's a bad cycle. The nation of Israel, they turn their eyes to heaven and they go, God, if you don't save us, we've messed up. If you don't save us, we're done. Enter a savior. Enter Moses and his staff. Enter David and his sling. Enter Joseph and his scepter. And, and these, these, these people come in and save the day on behalf of the nation, and each of them represents Christ. You're like, I thought I was David. I thought I was slaying giants. No, you're the scared Israelite. Okay? We are the nation of Israel, and we fail, and we fail, and we fail. And the point is this, that we need a Savior. The reason why the law uh, that was given at the time of Moses with all of these strict rules, the reason why it was given is for us to see that we can't measure up to it. And that we would end up in a place where we go, you know what? We need a sacrifice. We need a substitute. And of course, enter Jesus, the true Savior of the world. And he's the first human in history to ever live a perfect life. And Jesus literally attains the righteous life that you and I couldn't. And here's what's so beautiful. And this is what we just read in Galatians 3 at the end. He became a curse for us. That he went to the cross and died in our place. We're somewhere over here failing and it leads to death. Jesus goes to the cross. I'm drawing a little cross down here. Hopefully you can see that at the back. He goes to the cross. And at the cross, he becomes our substitute. So this is where we belong. We get his righteousness and he gets our curse and our death. There is a transaction, a sacrificial transaction with Christ. This is called salvation by grace because we didn't do it through faith. We look to God and we go, God, if you don't save me, I'm, I'm toast. And he saves us by his grace through his death on the cross. That's a powerful, powerful image. The problem is, is now we, we stop and we go, okay, I guess it doesn't matter if I've got my ticket to heaven, if God accepts me because of what Jesus did. If he looks and, and he says that you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, like when, when God looks at me, he sees Jesus' righteousness. I'm accepted not because of anything I did. That's powerful, but it doesn't help us in how we live today. So someone might say, and this is the argument that Paul is constantly fending off, that if this transaction has happened and I'm a Christian, it doesn't matter what happens in here and nothing could be further from the truth. Because here's, here's the truth. As you're living your life, the way you live your life still matters. If you tell the truth, if you are generous, if you honor God above anything else, if you are not envious of others, then that will bless your life. You are literally moving your life in the direction of blessing. Would you agree with that? When you tell lies, when you steal, when you're self-centered, you, even if you're a Christian, you're moving yourself towards cursing. So someone asked me after church last Sunday, they're like, that's amazing. I'm saved because of what Jesus did. So does it matter if I give anymore? I said, of course it does. If you want to be blessed, then you should do the things that God has told you to do. And when you, when you live generously, you'll be blessed. When you tell the truth, you're blessed. Things go better for you, but you're not saved because of it. You understand that? that that's not the issue anymore. So someone could say, well, I guess it, it doesn't even matter what I do. And so what happens is you have Christians like you and I living our lives going... Now what? I'm going to heaven, trying to live my life. Now what? Well, this is what I wanted to point out to you today. 
that God's plan since the beginning of time was not just to do this transactional sacrifice so you could get to heaven. There was more to it than that. What Paul's talking about in our text today is that God had intended to empower us by his spirit to live our lives in a new way. When I was a, when I was a little kid, we lived out in the country, and uh, we had about an acre of grass on our property, and my dad, like many of you, um, would go out on Saturdays on his day off and spend most of the day trying to cut that grass down. He had this old riding lawnmower, and he would putt around the yard for hours getting a sunburn. And I remember the sound of the lawnmower. It was like, pop, 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 pop. And he would kind of be around the yard, and we'd kind of watch him buzzing around the yard real slow. And then he would hit some thick grass, and the thing would, rub, 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 blah. You have to back it up, push it, and get back on it, and start it up. And, and he would labor out there to cut the grass with this old lawnmower. Well, one day, the engine died in his lawnmower. And instead of going out to buy a new one, my dad, who's a tool and die maker by trade, now he's, he's been a pastor for years, but he was a tool and die maker. And so he, he took that old lawn tractor, and he went behind the shed. Back in the, in the back of our property, there was an old racing skidoo. And he took the engine out of the racing skidoo and somehow retrofitted it into his lawn tractor. Now, I didn't know this was happening, but I do remember the day I heard that thing fire up. Because I was always used to hearing him, you know, pop, 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 around the yard, and all of a sudden I hear, wow! And I see this thing flying around the yard, a, a haze of gray two-cycle smoke coming off the back, and we're running in it. This is amazing! The thing growled and snorted. He would be cutting the grass while drifting, you know, <laughs> sideways. Grass flying out of this thing. And all of that was, was on the, the turtle setting. Because, you know, you had that little lever that went from turtle to rabbit. Yeah, just there was so much power in this thing. And you know what? The tractor looked exactly the same. You'd never know until this thing fired up. But when you heard this thing and saw what it could do, you knew that something had been transformed. And I tell you that story on purpose because this was God's plan from the beginning, that it wasn't just like, hey, let's just save the people. It was, no, let's change the people. That God's intention from the beginning was not about, like, circumcision was this thing they did. It was an outward mark on the body. But God's plan from the beginning was to transform the heart, was to do and perform a heart surgery in each person. And that leads me to one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. And it's found in Ezekiel, chapter 36, where one of the prophets, while correcting the people for their sin, gives them a promise of what is to come, something that you and I have experienced. And he says this in Ezekiel 36, verse 26, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I'll give you a heart of flesh. In verse 27, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. In other words, God says the reason why you can't live right is because there's a force inside of you that's pulling you down towards sin and selfishness and pride. There is, Paul calls it the sin nature. There's this thing inside of us and you can lie and pretend it's not in you, but there's something that goes, when there's a button that says, do not push me, and you're like, oh yeah? That's in you. And it's pulling you down. And saving you isn't enough. He says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you a heart transplant. I'm going to put my spirit within you. And so the moment that a person turns their eyes to heaven and says, 
on my own, I can't do it, I need you. And we put our faith in Jesus. What, what Paul is saying is the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. And it's that same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. By the way, that's a lot of horsepower. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead now lives inside of you. And the resulting purpose of that is that he says it will cause you to walk in my statutes. So when the Spirit is alive and working in you, it's taking you in this trajectory. It's still a jagged line. Because we're not going to do it perfectly. But the Spirit is leading it. You now have a new force pushing you in this direction, living inside of you. Does that make sense? And I would argue, and I think this is Paul's idea, that if somebody says, I'm a Christian, I've trusted in Jesus, but their life is headed in this direction, that perhaps they truly haven't trusted in Christ. Perhaps the Spirit is not there, or perhaps they are not yielded to the Spirit, but something is wrong. So should somebody become a Christian and do whatever they want? No. If you think it's just a transaction, then you'll go, well, I guess it doesn't matter. But if you realize that the whole purpose of this was to make us his righteousness and then empower us by his spirit to live righteously, it changes everything. That's the point that Paul's making in the text. So now, I want to take, I've used up all my time. Uh, We're going to go quickly through a couple of verses back in Galatians, and I'll wrap things up. Back in Galatians uh, chapter 3, here's how he begins uh, this chapter. We've read it already, but let me just walk you through it now with this image in mind, okay? Galatians 3 verse 1, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Almost sounds like they saw Jesus crucified. They didn't. They were living in a different part of the world. He was portrayed as crucified. When I was in high school, I had a a history teacher that loved World War I history. And he would go to Europe and he would read the biographies of men who fought in the trenches. And he would so vividly describe it to us, I I can picture it, what it was like to live in those trenches. It's like I was there. And I've seen war movies, and I'm like, no, that's not even close to what they lived through. Where's the trench foot? Where's the, where's the shivering cold in the rain? And like, it, you just see battle scenes, but like these people lived in holes. And he described it in such a way, and Paul's like, it was, I was so clear. I told you about Jesus in such a way that how in the, you, it's like you saw it. How could you then turn from this amazing thing Christ has done for you back to yourself and thinking you can do it on your own? I mean, who's bewitched you? <laughs> Someone had to have cast a spell on you for you to go there. Then he says, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Paul says, when you heard about Jesus, something changed in your heart. The Spirit of God came to live in you and started to change you. Was that something, was that because you followed a law or because God did it? And they were all like, God did it. He's like, so now you're going to go back to what you can do? Like, you want to go back to that old engine that was failing you? Instead of the new one, that like, what are you thinking? Did you suffer so many things in vain if indeed it was in vain? The people in the early church suffered for their faith. Many of them lost family members, lost jobs. Some of them even died because they trusted in Jesus. You know, For us, come on, let's be honest, there's not really a lot of suffering, is there? Someone might call you a religitard or a, or a hypocrite or something. Like, that's about it. Some of these people were paying a hefty price, and Paul's like, really? You paid that price to follow Jesus, and now you're just going to give it up and go back to that? Like, 
You can tell he's mad. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God, it was counted to him as righteousness. He says, look, this whole thing began when one man turned his heart and eyes towards heaven and trusted that God would do what he said he was going to do. For Abraham, it wasn't about, look, Abraham messed up a lot. He was a mess. He trusted God. And Paul's like, this whole thing depends on you, not on yourself, trusting God. And he goes on in the next six, seven verses, I won't read them again, basically contrasting the law that we can't achieve this, so we need a Savior and all of that. And he finishes with this, and I want to read the last verse and close. Verse 14. So that, all of this God did, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. He says, God's plan was that we would be made right with God, become sons and daughters of God, as promised to Abraham, and that God would empower us to live in the way that he called us to live and live a life of blessing. That was the plan. In Christ Jesus, the blessings of Abraham come to the Gentiles, that's to us, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Do you see it? Paul says, it wasn't just this transaction. God wanted his spirit to live inside of you, to transform you so that you would want to keep the law, so that you would want to live right, so that you would want to honor him. And it starts inside. And so let me close with these questions. Have you trusted in Christ? Some people just wait. They wait until the very last moment. They wait until they're in such a... Most people, their story goes something like this. I was doing my thing and everything fell apart. The wheels fell off and I turned my eyes to heaven. See, we're the nation of Israel. See, it's got to get so bad before we go, okay, you know what? It's not about me. It's about him. And we turn to him in faith. Have you trusted him? You don't have to wait till the wheels fall off. And secondly, have you received the Spirit? Because you were never intended to live the life that God has called you to live in your own strength. He intended all along to empower you to do it by his own Spirit. So even when I do the right things, even when I'm a moral person, even when I'm generous and loving and forgiving, it's not like, hey, look what I did. It's God doing it through me. I can't even take credit for it. He saved me and he's empowered me to live this way and I'm leaning on him. That's the idea. And so we're not just, you know, we get Christians coming to church and we're like, yep, I'm saved by faith. Well, guess what? You live the Christian life by faith too. And you can't do it without him. You can't save yourself without him and you can't live the way he wants you to live without him. And if you try, you'll end up either in pride or despair. Bottom line. And so... Have you trusted in Christ and have you received the Spirit? Through faith in Christ, we become righteous. And through leaning on the Spirit and His leading, guiding, and empowering, we live as righteous in the world. Can we pray together? Father, thank you for this, this morning and this opportunity to read these words and to think about what you have done for us. Lord, I confess that so many times I've opened up the Bible and read it like, like I'm the center of the story. And I'm just simply not the center of the story. You are. And God, I thank you that before I thought of you, before I ever cracked open this book, that you loved me enough to die on the cross for me. That you had a plan to save each person in this room and to restore creation before any of us turned up on the scene 
God, we're part of what you're doing. And so it makes me grateful and appreciative and thankful. And Lord, if there's anyone in this place who has never trusted in you for salvation, Lord, if there's anyone in this place who, who maybe has trusted you for salvation but has never relied upon the power of the Spirit to live life, God, would we humbly turn our hearts and lives towards you today? That's my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Pathway Church Podcast. If you'd like to reach out to us, go to our website, pathwaylife.com. And as always, don't forget to subscribe. See you next week.